This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello. Oh my goodness. Jessica is not on the show today. She uh, gave her a little break. She had a little trip over to uh, New York. And we were unable to let you know again about our VIP event that's happening in Philadelphia, July 22nd. This is revitalize. This is a way to revitalize your podcast, working one-on-one with Jessica and myself for a full day, for a full day face-to-face in her lovely home, which is going to be perfect for intimate communication. You guys, you have 18 days for early bird pricing. 18 days for early bird pricing. And mind you, you guys, the one-two punch that we offer, which is a virtual experience where you get essentially three hours of our time, this event is only a few dollars more. It's just going to blow your mind. Face-to-face, Jess and myself, check it out. Please don't delay. You guys are going to get to revitalize your podcast in a way that you haven't been able to do it, both working with the type of focus that I do so well, which is all about really tapping into your soul, into your voice, into what makes you tick, as well as all of the incredibly amazing business, marketing, monetization things that Jess brings to the table. Do not delay. Again, sign up. Click that link right directly from their show notes, right directly from your show notes, right at the top. Don't miss that early bird price. And now the show. Hello. I hear a giggle. I hear a giggle. I didn't even say a name. <laughs> hey, hey, it's not Jessica today with me. As you guys know, you can kind of all recognize my voice. My name is Elsie Escobar, just in case, because we're being all serious today. But I have the mighty Michelle Talbert here. Why Talbert? What, do you like your why? Do you like I love my why? why. I am the why You kid. love your why? I love my why. Oh my I love that. Michelle Y. Talbert is here today with me. She is just, uh, you know, let me just tell you about this lady. She's, um, you know, we got to know, I don't even know, how do we get to know each other, Michelle? Do you remember that? It was through a mutual, somebody introduced us. I mean, someone introduced us and then I was in the She Podcast group and it's just like, oh, love ever since. It's been years too. It's been a lot of years. It's been years. It's been a lot of years. And so, you know, part of like me getting to know Michelle has been just like as a human person. (laughs) Yeah. As a human person. (laughs) And therefore, like I, it was like one of those things where I was like, dude, you got to tell me like how to like cast light on you, my love. Because she really is, she's a recovering attorney, which is, oh, those are her words. And I love that title. And Honestly, for the past six years, she's been using media like, you know, books and podcasts and workshops and courses, and she uses them to like empower women to speak their truths, right? Because that's like, 
amazing. Um, all of that love. She is like the truth teller in all things from their bedroom to their boardrooms. Or she wants to empower women to do that. Now, get this. This lady is like a connection goddess. I mean, she's like the perfect mix of knowing all the people and intuitively knowing who works well or who should know somebody else or, you know, for some serious results. And I here's one of the my most um, joyful things about you that I love is that, you know, you are no holds barred, super connected in a way in which in the way that you use social media and how you leverage it for the power of good, which is super rare nowadays, lady. I mean, and of course, she's been featured in all kinds of fancy places like Black Enterprise and US USA Today and Forbes and all of that fancy stuff, too. But alas, lovely. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Elsie. I am so excited to be here and to have Jess's blessing to be here. <laughs> and of course, I know. your blessing. And I feel the same way about you. Like you are amazing and have set such a um, a standard of how we can number one disagree without being disagreeable, and how we can right. be a beacon of light and not isolate others or make others feel like they can't come into our circle and interact with us just because we have strong opinions about certain topics. So I love that about you, that you're really able to bring people together collectively, but still stand firm in your truth. And I so appreciate that about you, Elsie. And you allow others to stand in theirs as well. Whether you agree or not, you know, you sort of say, okay, well, that's your sphere. Have you thought about it this way? And if they haven't, then, you know, they kind of can take what they, what they want from that. But I appreciate you so much. I know. I've been wanting to have you on the show for so long. And thank you for your kind words, too. Just because, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, when a voice resonates, like you're one of those people that whenever I'm whenever I I hear something in the news or I see something that's like, oh, wow, that's interesting. I immediately want to know what you have to say about it. (laughs) So it's like so to me, it's like that's like the mark of like who I want to have on the show when I want to have a conversation with somebody else about it, because I really value the opinion, the nuance, the the thought process, the the questioning and all of that kind of stuff, because it I don't know, it's it. It's like you have I think what we're missing, at least in the online world sometimes is really stepping into our own lens But doing it from a place of connection Mm -hmm. and discernment, Mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of the time, at least from my my understanding as of nowadays, this is what I see a lot of. We tend to go off of headlines Mm -hmm. and kind of read a headline and go like, oh, my God, that's, you know, and we have a reaction to that. And sometimes we share these things or comment on them in a real um, unconnected way where we don't really know the story. Right. Right. Uh, And so I I really appreciate that lens from you because um, it's it's one of those things where it's like touch base with Michelle, touch base with Michelle. (laughs) What's going on? Yeah. And I don't have all the answers. Most of the time, I actually just have more questions than answers. It's more like, what is going on? Like, have we thought about it this way or can we think about it this way? Is this a possibility? It's, It's literally about me trying to grapple with some of the issues myself and hopefully not in an echo chamber. I don't want everybody to have my same opinion. Like, enlighten me. Help me see the other side of something as well. I really, really, I don't think we all have to agree to be able to 
get to the bottom of some of these hard questions that we have going on in society right now. In fact, if we do all agree, we have a problem because there's no diversity of thought. Yep, absolutely. But but in kindness, right? In kindness. <laughs> I try, I try, I try. I do not allow a lot of crazy <laughs> shenanigans and name calling and, and things to get kind of the vitriol. I don't allow that at all. That I don't allow. I will always step in. You can have a, a you know, a difference of opinions, but you're not going to be disrespectful to each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. So moving on to some of these conversations, though, because we're going to have some more good ones here coming up. But before we do that, we're going to hear a little bit from our own uh, Danny from Emerald City Pro Productions. He's going to give us a little tip, a little audio tip for all all of us peeps. Check your microphone input settings every time you sit down to record. Have you ever recorded an entire interview only to discover that Zoom or Skype reset your microphone settings to use the built-in microphone? What was the result? A noisy and ambient recording that's barely usable. Here's the solution. Every time before you record, go to preferences for whatever software you're using to record, whether that's Audacity, GarageBand, QuickTime, Skype, Zoom, etc. Find the audio settings and make sure that your microphone, your ATR2100, your SM7B, or whatever you use is selected as the input or microphone. It's also a good idea to go to your general sound preferences for your computer and check that that microphone is selected as well. Hey, it's Amy Robles from Thinking Riched. I just got to tell you about Danny Osmond. I'm the girl that always used to fight with the remote control, and now I've got my own podcast. I love it. People in the area around here are like, oh, you're the podcast girl. I love being called the podcast girl. And being able to see how my show has progressed and what I've learned and how I've been able to take the message from my heart, the message of what I'm learning and being able to share that with so many others around the globe is incredible. And Danny helped me. We spent about 15 minutes one-on-one just talking, figuring out a couple of little tweaks. And my sound went from, oh, new girl on the mic sound to this rich, professional, woofy mama voice. And I love it. When we hear it in the car, my little girl just says, ooh, mama. (laughs) I don't think there's any compliment better than that. He's someone that I trust and someone that I would listen to and learn from anytime. Well, thank you so much for that tip because, you know, uh, when you don't pick your microphone, sometimes the audio does sound a little poopy. Oh my gosh, it's the worst when you're the host. Like, if your guest (laughs) sounds better than you do, oh my God. Because, you know, it's just, this is my 10th year podcasting, and, you know, I kind of go in and out of podcasting over the last decade. Uh And I started with my snowball mic and have gotten up to my ATR 2100, and I still sometimes put my my earbuds in from Apple, but don't tell any snobs about that. Hey. It's all right. We love you anyway. No, but it's true. It's like there's been so many times when that happens. So thanks so much for that. Nice little tippy tip tip. If you guys need to, you know, have Danny help you out, you can go over to emeraldcitypro.com slash checklist to get a free podcasting checklist and to sign up for your free sound assessment. Um, And then you can also, while you're there, you can check out their production packages and done-for-you service, which is also really cool. We've had a few uh, She Podcasts uh, step into him, and and it's really, really good stuff. So how about we move into some news? The news you can use. 
for the informed podcaster, podcasting news. How about those little transitions there, Michelle? Aren't they fun? I love them. I love them. All right. Well, there aren't any like really super heavy, heavy hitting podcasting news today, but we do have, um, you know, some kind of like follow up from news from way like from a while back now. Um, and this is actually coming from, uh, HBO. HBO is planning to do a serial podcast docuseries on the case against Adnan Syed. So you, do you, re- you remember serial, yes. right? Oh my when gosh. It was, like, Everybody the big thing was and all like, that stuff? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh my God. Dude, HBO is like, they're doing it. They're like, they're going back. They're still going back to this serial podcast. Like, this thing's got legs. What do you think about that? So, like, there's so many different layers to this. Number one, that it became, like, this huge thing when it came out as a um, a case that was essentially, I guess, not solved, really, because it was kind of, like, very uh, mishandled. In a lot of different ways, correct? He now has a, what do you call that, Miss uh, Miss Lawyer, when somebody gets, a, is it a new trial? Yeah, he got it. He's getting a new trial, I think. Right. right. Um, and now it's becoming an HBO series. But you know, obviously, it's about the power of the story, right? Because HBO has always Correct. themselves out as incredible storytellers. But to me, it's also about the power of audio because that's how it started and every time i talk to audiences i say you have you you cannot really really understand until you're really in it the power of audio to really connect with people it is so intimate it's actually somehow even more intimate than when you have visual and audio together Because when people are on the treadmill and they have their earbuds in, they are focused on what they're hearing. And they're not even being distracted by sort of the visuals around them. And so all of your senses are really kind of focused on what is this story being told and it's coming in through your ears. And I think that that connection that you build, whether you're telling this story of Adnan Syed or um, other stories, is just incredible. And HBO clearly has figured that out. Um, let, let's start scouring the podcast world for good stories that we can tell. That's right. I'm, you know, I have an ethical question for you, though, mm-hmm. because some of the kind of pushback back in the day, too, you know, when when this show was coming out and all of these things were coming up, you know, trying to figure out who, who the killer was and and doing all these interviews and all of this stuff, like it started to bring up stuff for the family of the woman mm. who was murdered and her life was coming forth a lot more. People were not letting it rest. Um, you know, like just those kinds of questions started to come up um, around the responsibility that journalists have to respect victims, mm-hmm. right? Because they didn't ask for this. And although we are absolutely wanting to put people behind bars that are responsible for crimes, um, I don't know. It's like sometimes it feels like it's just continually to like, you know, you're getting used to your daughter was murdered. 
you kind of processed it. You went through the thing. Then this podcast came out, bringing all this other stuff out, out in the space. And then now there's an HBO movie. And it's like when, I guess from the perspective of a mom who lost her daughter, I don't, I feel like, oh gosh. Yeah, oh it's gosh. rough. It's really you know? rough. I um, I saw an interview once with a memoir writer. And she's like New York Times bestselling and, you know, just very thoughtful about how she tells her story, but yet mm. other people's story are interlaced with her story. And I do think that probably, you know, I don't know that the producers of Serial ever thought it would be as big as it was. I don't think they could have envisioned it. No, 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 no. Yeah. But going forward, I would think it would be really important to speak with all parties involved. Even if they don't sign off, at least show them the respect of knowing, hey, this is coming down the pipeline. This is the perspective. This is the impact it may have on you. And and, and try to soften that blow because you're right, as a mom, and it, you, you never get over that type of loss. I mean, that's just completely out of order to lose a child. However you lose right. that child, it just feels out of, out of the order. Um, so I think you're right that it is definitely a moral dilemma. And I think that as more stories are being told, you know, um, Jay-Z produced uh, Khalif Browder's story. And Khalif Browder was a young man Mm -hmm. who was in Rikers Island in New York for three years. He never went to trial um, for being accused of of stealing a backpack. And he ended up in solitary for almost a year. And unfortunately, between the ages of 16 and 19, he was in Rikers Island for three years and had not been charged. They didn't go to court. Um, He never got his day in court. And then finally he was released and everybody thought he was going to be okay. And he was not. He ended up committing suicide, unfortunately. And the family in that instance was really very um, adamant about getting his story out there and uh, uncovering a lot of the um, underbelly of what went on in Rikers and with teenagers and things like that. So that's the flip side of it, right? So they did a six-part docuseries, and that's actually going to be some, there are some more um, pieces that are going to be with that. Um, So it is, it's hard because we need to tell these stories. It's kind of like how you started the show, talking about how we use social media now to try to dissect some of these difficult issues um, to the best ability that we have. It's like, we got to shed light because there's just so much bad stuff going on, and and there's a lot of corruption and a lot of things that need the light shown on it. But again, you have to understand that there are people behind these stories. These are people's stories. It's history, as in yeah. his story and her story. Um, yeah, I agree with you, though, that there should be a conversation with her family. Um, but at this point, the, the, the cow is definitely out of the barn. That's a terrible, terrible analogy. But it's, 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 it has wheels. It has legs. It's, it's going to be on yep. HBO. And HBO is going to tell the story and it's going to. And they're going to tell a story. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm very interested in it. And also, you know, I'm I'm glad that it's a it's a a woman director, Amy Berg, Academy Award nominee. Amy Berg is is directing this. Um, So it will, you know, supposedly run for four hours. Uh, There's no release date as of yet, but they are exactly what you just said, Michelle. They are keeping um, new stories and perspectives coming on with this thing. So I I'm just thinking like, oh, my God. What, what more? Right. <laughs> like, right. Holy monkeys. Right. I mean, it was a lot. Their resources. Fun. I mean, HBO has oh, deep true. pockets. Their resources. Um, true. Yeah. It should be very interesting. I th- I'm pretty sure they'll probably be able to bring some new pieces to light as well. 
Oh, sure. And like, um, so kind of moving on here with this is totally taking it away from like the storytelling aspect and the power of podcasting from like the storytelling perspective and what it can do into podcasting ads. <laughs> and I had this, uh, this title pop at me. It said the podcasting ad opportunity is increasing. And so are its growing pains. This is from adexchanger.com. And I guess one of the reasons that I, I was kind of already miffed when I saw this article is because it's just the way that it's again positioned. Sometimes these headlines kind of irk me a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, it, obviously, this is ad exchanger. So this is coming from the ad side of things. I am it, obviously this is the lens in which we're reading this stuff, but there are some things about this article that kind of really irk me. And one of them is sometimes the dismissiveness of what's happened before. Right. Um in podcasting or what it is happening right now in podcasting as if it for some reason is broken and we need to fix it and it's not working and you know, but all of it is from the perspective of the people who want to serve you ads right exactly exactly it's like no um so here's a quote from there uh it says digital audio and broadcast radio companies see an opportunity to fix the podcasting experience for users by making it look and feel more like digital audio where content is recommended to listeners before they know they want it end quote and so that's what I, I'm like. What do you mean? Fix the podcast experience, and what's the difference? So, what do you take digital audio to be? Like, I I think you read the article, but what do you think digital audio is? Yeah, to me, I, I don't even get it. I'm, I don't even understand what they're comparing <laughs> us to. What what is digital? I mean, right. I guess they're talking big. You know, they're going to be talking Spotify title. Pandora, right. whatever, all these juggernauts that are moving into um, into our space. I say our space, right? They're moving into yeah. our space and they're crapping on us who sit around our kitchen table, as I'm doing right now, and right. record our thoughts and, <laughs> and find our tribes and build our tribes. And now they want to come in with, with, with all this money and throw money at it and tell us, oh, the way you've been doing it. Oh, how cute. That's like a lemonade stand versus Whole Foods, you know? And it's not to say that there's anything wrong with the lemonade. We like the lemonade. You know, the lemonade is homemade and the lemonade has a following of people. The radius may not be as big as the Whole Foods radius, but, you know, we're serving a population and it's not broken. It's just different. I'm sorry. I'm getting really loud because it is. It it makes me so (laughs) angry. When, they, when these folks with Deep yeah. Pockets, NPR and other folks move into, like I got into it at one podcast movement a couple of years ago. There was an NPR dude there and I was just like letting them have it about this exact issue. Not just the ads, but them moving into the space in a way that they were bringing more quote unquote polished hosts and, you know, people with a, a deep radio backgrounds and just sort of taking away from the talent and ignoring the talent that exists already in the podcast space. Yeah, we might not have graduated from somebody's communication school, but we've built tribes and had really great shows that were robust and dealt with issues that, honestly, people who take big ad dollars were scared to deal with in a lot of instances. Totally. Yep. And we're going to get to that here very soon. But I mean, I completely agree. And, you know, one thing that made me go like, what are they talking about? So there's this thing that in this, here's another quote. Through recommendations, the, these platforms can open more inventory by making back catalog episodes easier to find. 
They can also collect more data on listening habits and share that with advertisers, end quote. So I'm just going to comment on the top part, which I was a little confused because I'm like, so what if I want the back catalog from a podcast, I can just see it in the the podcatcher that I'm that I'm using like you know if somebody subscribes to she podcast and they go like oh my gosh I love the show I want to go back to episode one they can do that right, right. there right it's you know so I got a little confused on that and when it says these platforms I'm just going to clarify that they're uh focusing in on uh Spotify and Pandora which are huge peeps that are coming into the space. Absolutely. And Spotify is for sure going to be, my God, right now they've got 10% of the of the app market. They're number two. So it means that Apple Podcast as a podcast app is the one that rules them all. But then at 10%, with only, at least from the Lipson stats, with only 20% of podcasters currently that have applied to be in Spotify and has been, have been affected. So only 20, 20% of of Lipson users are currently in Spotify. It's already moved up to 10% of consumption, which is un- unheard of. Um, right. It's really climbed up. So I get it. I mean, it is actually crossing. For me, it's a huge platform, particularly for serving underrepresented communities, millennials, more diverse communities, because there's... Um, there's a cultural kind of knowing around Spotify. Like if you could just say like, hey, you have a Spotify playlist that goes throughout uh, culturally, almost every everybody has a Spotify <laughs> playlist. Right. And so it's kind of getting to all these places. But I, so I, I accept that. I just don't understand what this is. It's like, what do you mean opening like the back catalog episodes? They're right there. I was just looking at C podcast on Spotify. All of our stuff is there. Right, exactly. So, Actually, my my 2008 episodes are out there. I can't click on them because they were Podbean back in the day, but um, uh-huh. they, they're there. I can still see that they existed in my playlist from 2008. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but I, I think that goes back to your first quote as well, where they say making it look and feel more like digital audio. So they really mm. are focusing on this visual component because when I read that, I thought, hmm, this is interesting because as podcasters with let's say more shallow less deep pockets we don't actually focus on our visual side as much we put them up into you know itunes and and stitcher or wherever you put your shows and we just have our show art and we kind of keep it moving but i think that there's this move here that there may be some other pieces to that as well from this visual perspective and going back in your catalog so what is that going to mean in terms of episodes um what are they thinking there's a lot here and there's a lot of money in this and i think that that's the thing i'm always worried about like you say when we talk about voices that aren't um typically represented in mainstream media to to have those voices sort of um squelched again is is something i'm concerned about when all these ad dollars start flowing and you have some pressures to have certain messaging and you know Mm. soft sponsors Mm. what does that look like yeah i don't i don't know and then yeah it's so frustrating now uh, okay so i'm gonna switch it and then we can move on here soon but there's this last quote here is the one that i i'm 
I guess I'm kind of worried about some of the stuff where it says, quote, on the advertising side, it's about using listener data to make better informed decisions on who the listener is and serve relevant ads to them, end quote. And this is from ACAST's Sarander. So I think that's their CEO for ACAST. And ACAST is a hosting company, um, advertising company that is essentially, uh, its home based is in Europe. Um, and, um, what's interesting about this is that what about with the whole, you know, GDPR stuff, right? Where privacy is front and center nowadays from every perspective. And, you know, how does that translate into this kind of stuff where it feels like, I don't know. It feels like it's going to be like, what are they going to know? Like, I'm I'm afraid. I'm afraid if I start to consume something on Spotify, they're going to l- like the data. I'm afraid of the data. Yeah, I'm afraid like of. Right. We think something I don't like, like it's, that. It's to the point. It's really scary. And I don't know if you've experienced this. Everyone else I've spoken with has experienced this. It's not even just about, oh, I said something on my phone or I looked up something on the web. It's gotten to the point where it's like I think about something and it shows up in my Facebook feed. And it's really exactly. starting to get very eerie. It really is. But, you know, I was thinking um, in terms of that as well. To what extent then are we now taking the hosts and the producers of podcasts out of understanding our audiences as well? So I get data collection, Mm. but how about trusting that we know who our tribe is? Because in many Mm. instances, along with our podcast, we have sort of social media and we have groups on Facebook and we have a more personal connection, even with a very large audience that you still kind of, quote unquote, know who your listener is. So there's a chance that, you know, this data may not even prove so helpful. What about or could usurp the instincts of the hosts and producers of particular um, content as well? I have not heard that argument before, and I love it so much. I just thought, <laughs> it just it just popped in no. my head, but it, it, it is, yeah. and it's just, again me with my whole little kind of like you know trying to have I'm a homestead holdout, right? Like, come on, what about right. the little guys? What about us little guys and girls? Yeah, for sure. Because you're right. There's a definitely um, an instinct that we have about our people that even though let's say. Let's pretend, you know, for the She Podcast audience, obviously it skews slightly more towards female. It's a certain type of woman who's listening, right? Maybe there could be a very specific product that would, in fact, benefit um, our listeners, for sure. And yet, maybe it's one of those things where, um, as stewards, as Jess and I are stewards of our content, to be able to say, you know what, at this point in time... I don't think that this is the uh, we don't want to sell that right now or I don't feel our ladies are receptive to this or even the other thing. Like there are things that Jess and I are trying to sell too. like you know, right. Right. Like we have other things that we would love for you guys to buy from us. Right. <laughs> so, right. It feels, exactly. You know what I mean? Yes. So it's like onus on us to be able to go like I would love to really nurture our audience and have a relationship where we say like this is a great option for you um, because they call us out. You know, it's like you said to use this, right? Or you suggested we do these things. And that's a big responsibility. I mean, I'm happy that um, we do have that kind of influence with our people and they come back in and go like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for mentioning, you know, whatever it is that I like at that moment. It's really helped me. 
but also that's like a lot of responsibility. (laughs) Of course it is. And if you you start to shirk that responsibility, you will see it in your numbers. And I think it's really interesting. There were three words you just used that I loved, and it was relationship nurturing and steward. And, you know, these articles, again, it's an industry article, but they're talking data, relevant data and habits. And, you know, it's just very cold and it's 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 very um, analytics driven and not necessarily taking into account the human aspect. Um, So I think that it's going to be interesting to see there will be people, I'm sure. Of, of all sizes of listener audiences who say, well, hey, I want to monetize. I want to get these ad dollars. Tell me what I need to do. So there could be some benefit on that side. It would be interesting to see how this all plays out with the bigger um, fish in our pond. I know. I mean, but some of these bigger fish are trying to do good things, yep. like this whole Spotify boot camp thing. Yep. You know? Ten slots, um, 18,000 know- applications. <laughs> I know that's insane. Oh my God. So yeah, so Jess and I had a couple episodes ago, we kind of like went through the whole thing and like what happened and all this stuff, but we haven't kind of updated and, and um, I, and plus you applied. So I, I want to know also from your perspective, cause I've sort of been, you know, one of those things where I've been watching, I've been seeing how this is. So just to reference the people who are listening, Spotify's uh, bootcamp is essentially that they opened up the ability for 10 women of color to be mentored in New York, I believe for three, is it three weeks or something yes, like that? Three, weeks. three weeks um, with two like super awesome teachers that have been in the audio space to develop their shows and then one lucky winner out of those 10 would then be um, like optioned, if you will, for, and have their show supported, de- you know, developed and get $10,000 to go go forth. Right. Um, so there were 18,000 women that applied for these 10 spots. <laughs> they were not ready for that um, at all. So there, but there's been like this incredible community that has risen up, a hashtag women of color podcast too, which was like literally from within the community, it arose, there's a Facebook group, there's a hashtag, it feels very supportive, inclusive, and addressing the needs of the community as they're coming up. Um, and But also I've, I've seen a little bit of um, people are not okay with the way Spotify handled it. What do you think about that from your perspective? Do you, do you agree or disagree with that? Okay, let me... I'm going to preface this by saying I wasn't very vested. And I'm sure that okay. right. 17,999 okay. <laughs> applicants who heard me say that are like, good, we're glad you didn't get the slot then if you weren't that vested. Okay. And the reason I say that is because, I, like I said, I've been doing this for 10 years and I have taken a hiatus. I've done more guest hosting and things like that over the last probably two years than I have of um, hosting my own podcast anymore, even though my episodes are still out out there. And so I, I, I actually wasn't planning to apply, but after about the, I guess, seventh or eighth time, someone sent it to me and was like, you should really apply. I was like, well, okay, I'm going to listen to the universe. Who knows what can happen? So, okay. So that's just the background that I really wasn't like checking and refreshing my email. And I had forgotten about it a couple of times as well. Okay. So that being said, the real issue I think that happened was that it, it was, it was, um, uh, it's one of those things where they say, please, you know, blame my head and not my heart. I think their heart was in the right place. They were 
not expecting as many submissions as they received. And so therefore they weren't able to meet their originally set deadline for letting people know whether or not they had been chosen and had been selected. And I think they also did not articulate that ahead of the curve. So they ended up being reactionary. And whenever a company or someone is reactionary, you've already now had um, some unmet expectations. So I think that started things off poorly where people were like, oh, I'm, we're going to find out today. And then they didn't find out today. And everybody's tweeting like, what the heck is going on, Spotify? We thought we were going to find out. And then Spotify had to answer as opposed to getting ahead of it and saying, hey, you guys, we're so excited. You know what I mean? And, and sort of crafting their messaging, which is interesting considering they're all about messaging and music and, and the platform, right? Exactly, right. Um, totally. So they, they, they kind of dropped the ball on that because I think they were just overwhelmed and, um, and, and, and unfortunately didn't let people know. Um, but they did let people know. They did start letting people know. They set the new date, the new expectation, and they did be, they did stick with that. And they let people know that, you know, they hadn't been chosen. So I think that um, you're absolutely right that a beautiful community rose up out of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing how things um, progress because the, the great thing about it is that it is it's women at all different stages of mm. podcasting, whether they have it, they're pre-launch, they just have an idea all the way to, yeah, I've been hosting, um, you know, for a number of years. And it's funny because if everyone just listened to everyone else's podcast, they'd have a pretty good audience. <laughs> it's a pretty know, nice size right? audience, right? You're totally right. I hadn't thought about that either. I'm like, oh my God, that's like a built-in audience of all of these people, right? To go ahead and and expand this, and because that's one of the and uh, yes, of course, and for all of us, it's it's that kind of a thing. Now, one thing that I did feel, and I and I've alluded this in all of the podcast and stuff as well, is that in addition to that education, I feel we do need to, as a industry, and especially those of us uh, within the industry, now ask adding Spotify to the mix. That there is a level of responsibility also to move beyond the usual suspects in terms of marketing their stuff or getting the word out there, particularly when the audience is as it is. Because um, there's a reason why I feel the diverse audience is not there, right? And I'm not talking about from the content side of things. I'm talking about from the receiving end of things, how it's kind of skewed and stayed in a specific sort of genre. And for me, like one of the biggest heartful, soulful places that I want to go are for people who are just challenged economically, regardless of what their culture is. And, you know, people who are essentially their, their voices are just underrepresented because they don't have the means uh, to buy all the things. Uh, or they don't have the access, and that for me is huge, access to get the information that will most benefit to them. Um, sometimes these communities are communities of color in, or migrant communities or anything that is other sometimes. Not all the time, so I'm not, I don't want to make a generalization around that. But usually it's that, like I feel these communities could benefit from the amazingness which comes from the podcasting space. The voices that are behind there can uplift, can educate, can empower, can do so many things for free. And I feel that something like with Spotify could really benefit from expanding their reach as well, like really addressing how are we going to build the audience for this 
woman that we are now invested in $10,000 worth, right? Versus just like, let's just advertise in the same places. <laughs> it's like, well, what? you know, I'm going to go back to your original ad uh, news piece as well, because I think <clears throat> that there is some, some opportunity there. I guess maybe that's where they're going with this cataloging piece, maybe. Because how do you find mm. shows, right? If you're a listener or a potential listener and you've not really had much experience with podcasting, it's generally going to be word of mouth. That's generally how most of us start listening to podcasts. If someone says, oh, have you listened to so-and-so's podcast? Or someone like someone literally this weekend sent me a link to a podcast that she loves. So that's one way. But if you're in certain communities, like you mentioned, if you're in a rural community or if you're in a community where people are maybe not listening to as many podcasts, then you're not going to have that word of mouth piece. So how are you actually going to find content that has the value that you need? Um, I could see that being maybe if they take it in that direction that that could be very helpful for the audience. Because it's really, I've, I've said this time and time again, as soon as you hear certain shows, you're hooked, but you got to find them, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And, and when we first started talking about these issues, maybe like six, seven years ago, when we started talking about the diversity pieces and saying, you know, okay, Apple is has a has you know the, a corner on the market for podcasts, but most people of color have Android phones. So even when right. we were when we were marketing, then it was like, what platform technologically are we even on? And then can mm-hmm. we be found? So, you know, there are so many layers and levels to getting your content heard and reaching the people who you intend and hope can reach. And and, and I think you're totally right that, you know, we have to think about what does this look like in terms of getting the audience educated about how to find podcasts, what podcasts they could be interested in. Um, and then getting people positioned in front of them. Yeah. Are you listening, Spotify? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Pandora. Are you listening? Let's, I know, Pandora, let's have a, let's have a little conversation. About it. You're right. Um, yes, yes. But, and, and then again, I think, you know, with thought leaders and like kind of moving along with a little bit of a discussion that we have outlined here for ourselves, but it's like, I consider you to be a thought leader in this space. You know, you are somebody who comes up and then you're like, pay attention to this, or this is important, or, you know, even when you work with uh, in real life, right, with your work that you do, Michelle, going there, talking to people and all of that stuff, you are casting light on the things that you feel are important. And I'm just blown away. Like right now, my biggest issue is that I am overwhelmed with information and being able to process it so that I can... um, really have the impact on the people that I want to have the impact with. And I have found that I've had to really sort of remove myself from social media a lot of the time, not because I'm not interested, but because I have other, like I'm mentoring women, right? And Mm -hmm. I feel like I have to serve them, even though I'm running this community that's like, oh, not, you know, co-running this community that's like over 10,000 women as well. So I'm really... I like I respect the way that you come into Facebook and you are present 
and I see your voice like every day. And there are times when I look and I'm like, you know, I haven't said anything in the past like four days, five days. I don't know when the last time is that I posted anything other than right. a picture of my babies. Right. Um, which and, we love because you know, they're and, adorable. Which, yeah. And so I'm just like, yeah, I feel like I, I somehow sometimes feel like I'm letting people down in a way or I miss the boat. And I also don't want to be an echo chamber. And also, I don't want to post things out of have to, but from an authentic place of y'all listen, check this out right now, because this is important. Please read. Because I also understand the power of what I say, because I don't say it often. Yes. Right? So how do you manage that, though? How do you sift like through all the crap, all the stuff, (laughs) all the thoughts? It's so funny when I would, all the all the things, all the thoughts. Um, yeah. uh, to quote John, right, producer John, yeah. all the things. Yeah. Um, when I was a first year summer associate in law school, I wasn't a summer associate at a firm in in Philadelphia, and they would have the partners host us for lunches and talk to us about what it means to be a lawyer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And one particular attorney, one partner in the real estate group stood up and said, you know, um, as you're thinking about your legal career, you you probably want to go broader. And the analogy he used, and it's stuck with me now for almost 20 years, is you've never seen a doctor who's a left nostril specialist. Right. You've seen an ENT, you've seen a neurologist, et cetera, et cetera, but not a left nostril specialist. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Right. And then go about my life for the next 20 years, practice and life and (laughs) all these things happen. And then it's it's I feel deeply about so many things that I now have to be a left nostril specialist. In terms of what I share. So I've come to the point where for me, I may read a story about something that impacts, um, you know, you know, there might be a bombing in Paris or, you know, we just had, you know, some things going on with Israel and Palestine. And I'm reading this and I'm consuming it and I'm having opinions and thoughts, et cetera, et cetera. But you won't see me post about it. You may see me share a story, but I won't editorialize. And that is because I've decided to be a left nostril specialist when it comes to how I, number one, keep my sanity and number two, hopefully don't have people tune out because we are so inundated with information so that when they see that I've made a post and it might be a little longer than, Hey, I was just hanging out with my kids by the wharf in DC that they'll actually read it or at least skim it, or at least get a feel for what it is. The issue is that I'm bringing to the table um, because they know that the issue is probably going to be something about social justice and race, something about society and race um, at this point with maybe a little bit of gender um, in there. And so That has helped me a lot. I'm not a proponent for me of less social media, but I might be a proponent of what type of social media I consume and where I kind of stick my toe in the water because I'm with you. I don't post because I have to. I post because I feel driven. And it's funny. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It probably hasn't because you don't really like you. you, You're so amazing about bringing your point of view and your perspective and showing other perspectives without really pissing people off. And I feel like there's sometimes (laughs) I just get on there and and it's amazing to me when someone will like something I said and I'm like, wow, you didn't mute me. Like, (laughs) like, wow, you still see my post? Like, because in my mind, I feel like everybody has muted me. 
Because at some point or another, I've ticked every side off. I would, black women were mad at me last week, and I'm a black woman. And so, you know, it's just I speak my truth, and I'm very clear. It's my truth. It's not the truth. It's my truth. Right. And so, yeah, it does make people uncomfortable, but I have a very specific pur- purpose in life, I believe, for my platform and my voice. And um, I've come to find out that it's a le- I'm a left nostril specialist. <laughs> Fantastic. Could we quote me on that? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, you know, and that's like that actually really makes sense. And I feel that um, when I feel the dissonance of what you're talking about is when, you know, something comes up that really strikes me deeply, you know, where I have something to say, like this is huge for me. And then I go, okay, I have to, because when things like that arise, it's not an easy, like, quick share, right? Mm. When something, like, even if it's a sentence of editorial, like, I want to make sure that the language that I'm using is specific. Like, it's not just going to be whatever, right? Right. And so for me, that takes some processing time. That takes me time to sit and have the, like, super intention in front of the computer um, or the phone, whatever it is that I have at that time. And I generally will start that process and then my life will interrupt me. Mm. I have a child that did something. The goats are attacking each other. You know, like my internet's not working. Like there's so many things that happen that stop me, like literally interrupt me in the middle of it. And I get so frustrated and I lose that focus. And I, I, that's when I get really so bummed out. Um, and I, I get, I feel defeated. Like, I really feel like I didn't do my job mm. um, to bring this forth, right? And and then I feel fake when I want to do it later. Like, like if it's like, okay, I got, because, okay, so there's something that just happened. And I didn't even look at the video because I knew it was going to trigger me. But it's like, there's this Latino man going off on a darker skinned person. I'm not even sure because I didn't see the video, but it's this Lat- that white Latino, white passing Latino going off on this uh, person of color, mm-hmm. uh, another male mm-hmm. and calling them awful names, derogatory, racial, all this kind of stuff. And for me right now, the uh, racism inside or within my own culture is really front and center. Just to recognize that and to be, you know, because there's so much of that prejudice, colorism and all that stuff. And the fact that it's true, like a lot of Latino people are crazy racist. Mm-hmm. We cannot overlook that. So anyway, I saw this thing and I and I really felt like I wanted to share my opinion about this and how important this issue is. But now it's been like a day and a half. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I feel like... <sighs> Like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm like letting it simmer and I haven't like stepped up. Like I haven't done, I haven't had the time, the cognitive time to be able to sit and do that. And then when I don't do that, I feel like, oh man, I lost my chance. Am I copping out, dude? Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I can tell you exactly why. Okay. Um, All right. One of the conversations that I have. A lot. And it just so happened. It's pretty fresh because I spent I spent a weekend celebrating my girlfriend's 50th birthday um, with uh, 12 of her closest friends or 11 of her closest friends or 12 or 13 of us in total. Um, And I was the only African-American woman. There was one Sri Lankan woman. Everyone else was 
was um, white, passing white, I don't know, whatever they want to, they, they consider themselves white women. So um, that's a fortunate and unfortunate situation because the Me Too movement came up. And there was conversation about, wow, you know, the Me Too movement starting last year. And I'm like, eh, about a decade ago, Tarana Burke. Um, <laughs> and the reason I'm bringing that up is because it started a year ago for them, right? It started a year right. ago for them. But the issue has continued for well over a decade, but the hashtag started a decade ago. And so I say to you, because even when this comes up for me as well, now, when I click on an article, this is a different issue. I can't stand when people st- share articles from like three years ago as if it was happening today. That's a different situation. But there are certain themes. The police did not just start over policing communities of color. We right. just have a technological tool at our ready at all times, generally in our hand already, that is enabling us to capture these images and spread them more broadly so that we're educating people who were not aware. I mean, when when um, when FTP, F the police came out, NWA, they were talking about this exact issue that's happening right now. And that was 30 years ago, almost 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I say to you that... This is not about something that happened yesterday. This is about an ongoing issue within our community that, hey, I have an image from yesterday or last week that I can help to articulate so it drives it home for you. So the reason I'm saying you're copping out is because you're focused on this just happened. I got to be CNN, you know, LC on the spot, bringing the coverage to you live and you don't. Because these issues, the colorism, my kids are almost 30 years old. My first husband was Puerto Rican, right? He's a white passing Puerto Rican. His mother was very racist. I get it. But the funny thing is I grew up in New York. And for the most part, Dominicans and Puerto Ricans, and we all just get along. And we, we don't even think about it. Now I live in South Florida, and it's a very different interaction with the white Cubans here and the African-American community here. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think that just because that man was screaming two days ago, you can't write about it next week. Hmm. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, and I, I love that idea of LCCNN because you're right. <laughs> you're not CNN. You're We're right. not getting yeah, paid I'm not to break this news, right? <laughs> Breaking news. Like I know yeah. people look to my page sometimes like that, but right. I'm like, no. I mean, it's, it's not about breaking news. It's about my broken heart, to be quite honest. Right. Um. It's a lot going on right now. So please write that piece because I want to read it and comment on it and share it. Thank you. Well, I will. I w- thank you so much. I mean, I Yourself, really, I girl. absolutely. I know, right? Yeah. Put them kids to bed. <laughs> put that just... goat down. Put the, not down, down, but you know what I mean. Put the, put the yeah, no, I know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get it. No, but that, I mean, it's true. It's like sometimes you have to, you know, there's so much just so much um, I feel that we need to take responsibility for that um, a lot of us are are not. <laughs> you know what if, I mean? you, um, if you focus on what's important, if like, if we're all left nostril specialists, if the pink pea hat brigade focuses on their issue and I focus on the issues that I care about regarding over policing our communities and people calling the police on people of color and this person focuses on the environment and that if we could all just be left nostril specialists, right? Mm. Every issue would get covered. Right. 
I don't fault anyone for not caring as deeply about my issue as they do about tax cuts because we need people focused on the tax cuts. See, the thing is we um, silo. We think, well, this is just happening to me. Like, you know, you share a story about people of color and, 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 and within the Latinx community. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm kind of part of that now because I have, you know, half Puerto Rican babies. So we have things that overlap with each other, but they just may not rise to the level of this is the thing I'm focusing on. But if you take care of it, it'll help me, too. It'll help my children, too, with their little curly hair, you know. And so right. I think that we all need to give each other respect for caring about what we care about. Cause sometimes there's some shaming there. Like, Oh my God, you're up at four o'clock watching the Royal wedding when somebody just got shot in our community. Like, what are you talking about? Like I, you can't chew gum and walk at the same time. I sure can. But the point is that if we all focus on the things we care about, it's still the ecosystem is such that if you know, if, if what is that? If if a, if a bee does pollen somewhere in Brazil, like we'll be able to breathe easier or something. I don't know, but I think yeah. we all impact one another when everybody does their job, their thing, their thing they care about. Yep. You know, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it to the yoga place now, Michelle. Okay, I'm feeling very okay. zen. Let's go. Let's go. I know. So, one of the 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 philosophy, the lens of the philosophy that I studied, you know, back in the day as well, mm-hmm. is called Rajanaka. And Rajanaka in Sanskrit means little sovereign. And little this star? is the only philosophy. I'm sorry, what? It means little what? Sorry. Little sovereign. Like sovereign. little. Prince. Okay. So, yeah. Li- yeah. Um, and, and so what that means is that this was one of the only bits of philosophy or like the lens of which this was a tantric philosophy that came from the fact that it was householder based, which means that there wasn't a guru kind of um, thing happening with this. It wasn't like there was a, a thing that you were trying to be like these holy people. But what it was based on is that it's a householder philosophy. So essentially, what you needed to do was to be a sovereign over your own domain. Mm. And so that means that if you happen to be, let's say, uh, a doctor, and somebody in your community is suffering greatly from physical pain over they got hurt or whatever, your job, your ultimate job is to step into the role of being a doctor if that's who you are. You've got to own that and you have to step into that. That doesn't mean all of us need to be doctors or all of us need to do the thing, but we all need to step fully into whatever that is that we need to do and be a sovereign over that. Mm-hmm. And as a society, right? So that we are a sovereign over our own domains and in a household, like an everyday householder thing. Like, and that includes also uh, dealing with things like what is called nitya karmas. And nitya karmas are the things that you've got to take care of, like food, sleep, taxes, <laughs> paying mm-hmm. bills, like those kinds of things, if you skip over those things, they actually become a hindrance to you being able to be the best person that you can. They actually hold you to not being able to be the fullness that you can. So you actually use the nitya karmas, these things that are the everyday grievances, if you will, I guess, of your life sometimes when you're like, oh my God, but I, I need to go to sleep, but I, but I don't want to. Um, but, but you honor those boundaries. Because you you have to do them. And if you don't do them, what ends up happening, you actually pay greatly if you don't. So might as well address them. But anyway, that's essentially what you're saying to me. 
you're reminding me that I am a sovereign over my own domain and that my duty in the yogic realm is for me to step into that. Yeah. The end. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Wow. That's really powerful. That's really powerful. Yeah. And I think that frees us, especially as women. And, you know, I know our audience here is, is, is mainly women. As women, we often feel like we have to do everything well. <laughs> yeah. We might have to do yeah. everything, but I think we got to give ourselves a break that some things are just not going to be done as well as others. And um, that's, that goes for the things we care about in terms of, of social causes as well. Uh, I care a lot about a lot of things, but I think we have to focus, like you said, and be a sovereign over our household. I love that. I'm going to keep that in mind. I like that a lot. Yeah. It's very, yeah, I love it. I love it too. It's always resonated with me versus the whole guru thing, the guru, the guru principle. You know, you follow the, you follow the guru, even though, because it's just always bites people in the butt. <laughs> All that stuff. Speaking of households, yeah. I'm just going to use that yeah. as a segue. I'm going to force a segue. When it's a blended right. household, as in mm. Chief Podcast, I think the right. question I have for you and I love about you is that you're very clear. I'm a woman of color. I have certain perspectives and there are certain experiences that I've had. But you also are able to, I think, interact and make white women also feel comfortable. Because I think sometimes people shy away from certain conversations that they care about because they don't want to be made to feel badly or guilty or have someone they feel is being angry toward them when they're really angry about the topic. Um, and I think you have a way of, of bringing together community such that no one feels alienated. Or if some alienation seems to rise, you, 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 you handle it head on and deal with it. What, how does that work for you? Like, what are you consciously thinking about that? Do you have thoughts about with that, I mean, you have ten thousand women in your in your group. It's a lot. I know. I yeah. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. And it's like you know, it is. It is front and center. I think part of it for me is 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 again wanting to be present, but then it's it's. I think it's it's still challenging though. You know, it's challenging. Um, I didn't ever think I was going to be in this place in this seat, if you will. Um, and it's forced me to be very introspective. And I think that one of the first things. I mean, as you challenged me right before. I have those kinds of conversations with myself a lot, as in like, what is uh, whenever I see dissonance or whenever I see pain, um, anger, um, all of those things, the first place that I try to go to is what's true. What's the what's true about what's happening versus defensiveness. And, and I feel that in that realm, when I can really, when I can really look at truth head on, then it becomes, it becomes an easier way to navigate and to try to merge communities and try to find understanding, um, and yet still hold on to the truth because that is one thing that I ha I can say that I am super grateful for how I was raised and the environment in which I was raised and all of that stuff. Like that is a positive thing for me to recognize humanity, to recognize truth from other people, to recognize being kind, mm -hmm. unrespectful, 
Like all of those things are super important. And and now I'm adding the other aspect of it, which sometimes truth needs to have anger. Sometimes truth needs to be dirty. Sometimes truth needs to be scary. You know, sometimes truth isn't pretty and we're not going to just feel really sweet and I love you at the end, right? So that's been the bigger learning for me. It's it's a hard process of learning. So I feel that that's my, always my first step. Like instead of if I see something that's not working either against, you know, towards me, against me, or within the community, I the first thing that I step into is what's true about what's happening here. Like, um, what is it that Oprah says? Do people tell you who they are. What is it that she said? I remember like, that's really, it, yeah, it's a my quote, like that my Angelou quote, when people tell you who they are, believe them the first time. Yes, Down. exactly. Yeah that because something truthful from every human is happening at that moment right Mm -hmm. and i feel that if you feel something because i've done something what's the truth about that Mm -hmm. like i can't i can't just be like well i didn't mean it michelle you know i didn't mean it like like no like i want to know like what is the truth about that and being able to hold that is sometimes it's very challenging, but I feel that that's the first step. I can't go into a, a leading a community without really recognizing that first and honoring somebody else's, you know, it's just, I, I can't do that. Um, and uh, one other thing, I mean, just to add on to this, which has really been huge for me, speaking back again to what I was saying earlier about the racism within my culture and what I've been doing a lot of studying about racism itself, right? And how we tend to shy away from being racist. Of course, we don't want to be. We call that, ooh, scary. Um, but I have found it to be super powerful when I can hold that and say, how I am, how am I racist? You know, and to really hold that. Like what is, and without it being a bad word, if you will, or like an insult, but to really see it for its definition and how I'm missing a lot, right? Those implicit biases and those like things that we just, those blind spots that we don't see to kind of sit there and not say, I well, I'm not racist, but actually turn it over and say, how am I racist? Without saying, yeah, yeah, patting myself on the back because I, you know, can see it, but to really kind of sit with that discomfort. Because if, if you know, that I feel, especially for white people or white passing people, you have to kind of sit with that. You can't not address it. You can't. You know, what's difficult about that is, well, one thing I think may be challenging is that because we have such a negative connotation attached to the word racism, rightfully so, it is negative, Mm -hmm. um, that it's very hard to even have that conversation with yourself. And I think the other part of it is that there are macro and micro level issues at play that are running on sort of these parallel tracks. And so if you say to someone who works in Appalachia and has been laid off and hasn't, you know, isn't able to make ends meet, um, you have white privilege. You're privileged. You don't understand, you know, 
And they're like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I barely have running water. What are what privilege do you think I have? There is a micro a micro level I have lack and a macro mm-hmm. argument you are white. Right? So mm. we're already talking past each other because we're not using the same language. And then when you add to it the the the, the lightning rod of the word racism. And so you say to this Appalachian person who feels like they're lacking financially, um, yes, your privilege has a dollar sign attached to it. You're just not capitalizing on it. That's your problem. But, you know, on, on top of that, to say, well, I feel more um, underprivileged than you. Right? I've said that backwards, but you understand. I feel like I have more of a disadvantage mm-hmm. because of my color, but I live in D.C. and I have a $500,000 house. How does that translate? How do you have that conversation? Right. And neither party is wrong. They're both experiencing the world through their lens. But we have different types of ways to move about this world. And when it when in our country, especially when you bring color and economics together, that's where the big clash is. I really believe that's where the big clash is. Chris Rock has a joke. He says, there's nothing that a white man with a nickel hates more than a black man with a dime. And so they both have their underprivileged component, right? And so to say that someone else's privilege or lack thereof is more important than someone else's, again, you're shutting down communication. So if if we could have, you know, these micro level com- conversations where we interact as human beings, like you started off by introducing me as a human, which I love. I'm very much a black woman, very proud of being black. And many times I'm more black than I am woman. And I know that would probably set a lot of folks on tilt. Um, but if we could have these human conversations and then understand that we have systems and structures in place, but we also have our individual experiences on these on this earth and understand how they collide. I think we could really get someplace healthy. Mm. Yep. Word. <laughs> Word. Word. That was, I mean, thank you for bringing all that into that. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's also moving, which is really great because it's like a pul- it's pulsing. It's not ending. It's not over. It's, it's not period. It's not like we already know, or this is the way to do it. It's this constant ebb and flow and, you know, culture continues to change. You know, I mean, there's so many different things now that I'm just thinking like, my gosh, um, the, just what you were talking about in terms of the micro and the nuance that now I have to share with my daughters some of this information, right? That when I was growing up, some of these, uh, a lot of issues were not coming up. Like they weren't leading the way um, around so many different things. And then this, and like, wow, this is all new vocabulary for me. Like Like I have to learn like um, all of the gender issues, and and so like all of the minutia of 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 the gender stuff and all the different vocabulary around it and being able to see that you know at least for for now like their commentary on like why is that boy wearing a skirt you know like that kind of stuff because I do live in Asheville and Asheville's Asheville's a little crazy sometimes mm-hmm. and so it's like you see all kinds of expressions so that means around progressive. here it's very progressive yes <laughs> yes. yes. 
Um, and so you see all kinds of stuff. And, I'm, and so I'm kind of sitting there trying to like, okay, how do I, like, what's the lens, right? Because, and again, we homeschool too. So right. there's also an element of the homeschoolers that we, we have a homeschool co-op going in there, like what kind of lessons they're learning. We're all in there. It's totally different than going to a regular school. What does that look like? Who are these people? You know, like there's all of these things. Most people have goats. You know what I mean? It's like, right. Not everybody have goats. I mean, there's like all of these tiny little things that are um, that there there has to be like this extra explanation of stuff. Right. Even when they explain their own schooling to other kids. Mm-hmm. You know, what grade are you in? And then we our grade levels are like also very fluid. They are, you know, from one to three, from three to six, from six to nine. And that's, it's sort of like Little House on the Prairie schooling. Like mm-hmm. the kids are all, you know, so it, there, there's no category. And at times when you're a child, you kind of want to be a category. You wanna, I'm a first grader. Right. You know, I'm a first grader. And we don't really have that. So how to help them navigate in like mainstream society yet at the same time showing them that it this this is also very good you know that you'll get a chance to choose later so that's that's what i mean like having all of these different like my mom would i don't think my mom even knew what homeschooling was so it's like you know that is a whole new definition that's what i mean like in terms of the subtleties of explaining all of this stuff that's happening in the world well, you know, what's interesting is like, that's a conversation you have to have with your children. And I'm always going to bring it to race because a hammer nail mm-hmm. is just where I am right now. The conversations that a lot of us have to have with our kids is about how do you interact with the police, right? Um, yeah. when, our, when our teenagers start driving, we have to explain to them, you're going to get pulled over a lot. You're going to have to understand how to navigate that. You may have to be in control as a teenager of de-escalating a situation just so that you can make it alive to get to the precinct to get your phone call to us. Um, Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because um, I mentioned my children almost 30. My son's 29. My daughter's 27. And when they were teenagers, having these conversations with our children is often met with the idealism of childhood, which is we should all be able to get along. I don't see what the problem is. Mm. And so you're trying to arm them literally with the information they need to save their lives. But they're telling you, you're being racist, mom and dad. Everything is not about race. We live in a society where everybody's equal. And because they have these ideals, right? They have Mm. these... I'll say childlike ideals, which is what our country is based on. Very, very childlike ideals that get bastardized in adulthood, unfortunately. And so you have these teenagers who you're trying to keep safe, who are not even listening to you. In fact, tell you you're wrong and tell you you're the problem and you make everything about race or you make everything about these issues. And then literally 10 years later, they come back to you and they're like, yeah, you're right. This is the world we live in. And so... All we can do is prepare our children and have the conversations and hope that things are sinking in and hope that they'll be able to revert back if ever they need to, to the information we've shared with them. Um, Because there are so many conversations that are different for our households, right? That we have to, you know, 
we have to prepare our children the best way they can. I was thinking about your girls. Yeah, they probably, you know, that that's that's that social identity. What grade are you in? And, you know, mm-hmm. um, I totally get that. That's part of the maturation process and about human development and connecting. How do we make connections when we, all of us have such varied um, experiences, but yet we still have threads that connect us? Um, Twitter is a really great place, black Twitter, especially where you're like, oh, Thanksgiving dinner for black families is like, and it's like somebody who does a black person in Appalachia does, you know, have something in common with a black person that's raised in Harlem in New York. And it's so cool that if we can all find that throughout our humanity, um, yeah. Those things that tie us together and bind us. Like, I'm scared of goats, but you have a goat and I adore you. You have other things to connect to. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just not big on that. Not, not, not big on the Oh livestock. my God, that's so funny. See that? <laughs> but, oh, but the goats. so many things and it's, it's, it feels ideal and it feels childlike, but that's the point. The simplicity yeah. of it, the beauty of it. If we could just get through the muck. But we have to acknowledge the muck is there and we have to deal with it and cut through it. And whatever that looks like, however you speak that truth and stand in that left nostril PhD you got, you know. I love it. I love it so much. We could keep on going, you know, but we have been going a little bit now. Yeah. We have been going a little bit. So I'm going to actually skip it over here. and We're going to. We're going to call it a show, Michelle. What do you think about that? Think I think that a that's a good idea. Hopefully, okay. if, hopefully, hopefully folks tuned in, listened, and just had like one kernel, one light bulb, one moment that went, ah, aha. That would be awesome. Uh-huh. We would love it. So you guys, if you, you know, send us some love um, over here, you can always email feedback at shepodcast.com and whatever you would like to say, we will forward it over to Michelle so that she can hear your words. If you want to, you know, email a little longer, as you guys know, mostly we, we kind of cross post this over on the she podcast Facebook page. That's another place where you can shout out Michelle over there if you want to and love, where would you like people to connect with you? Um, in case they want to reach out to you individually, or something, not individually, you know what I mean? No, I understand. No, I am Michelle Y. Talbert on Instagram. You can email me at Michelle at Michelle at Michelle Y. Talbert. My website is michellewytalbert.com. Twitter is the only place where I ran out of that one extra character to put my Y in. So I'm Michelle oh, no. Talbert on Twitter. How dare they? Um, How dare they? <laughs> So I am Michelle Y. Talbert pretty much everywhere I can be found. I love to interact with folks. And if you find me and write me, I will definitely write you back. And I would love to hear from you. I am all about helping women share their stories, craft their stories, speak their truth. Even like if it's in the boardroom and it's like, you know, have mansplaining dudes talking over you to try to, you know, get your point across and be heard. That's my passion. Mm. We love it. And I'm sure don't delay in getting us some feedback because we'd love to get some to Michelle and maybe she'll come back. Maybe she'll come back and play with me again. Yay! I loved it. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Jess has big shoes to fill. So I didn't even shoot. I'm not even trying to fill Jess's shoes, but I appreciate the opportunity to sit here and chat with you and everybody who's listening. I so appreciate you listening. Yay!
Yay! So again, please. Oh, and also we forgot to mention, please get your ticket to Podcast Movement. Michelle's yes. been there in the past as well. It's kind of fun to kind of play around, talk around, and then maybe get into some of these uh, strong conversations out there. I do have a panel that I'm still kind of searching um, the, the the right mix. You know, people sometimes just can't come, even though you wish they could. But I am have a panel where I hope to address a lot of these issues that we were talking about with Michelle, particularly through the lens of access, socioeconomic statuses, and infrastructure. Um, so that we can start the conversation and see what we can do to expand podcasting beyond Apple Podcasts. So do get your ticket, podcastmovement.com, and you use the code SHEEPY to get $50 off of your ticket. It and, is so yeah, worth it. And, uh, that's it. That is it for today. And uh, we look forward to you chatting with you all next week. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Love you. Mean it. <laughs>